discover the power of positivity. Identify your gifts. Then plan and execute your passion. And ultimately, thrive exponentially in life. And most importantly, in business. On Sudden Eye Impact. With your host, Lee. The environment put me in greater than, greater than. The circumstances that I'm faced with greater than, greater than. The environment put me in greater than, greater than. The circumstances that I'm faced with greater than. We're live on the sophomore project, The Experience. And this will be volume five, the first time that I've had an actual guest on my second show. Um, today's guest will be Peggy McCall. She is the founder and president of Dynamic Destinies Incorporated. Peggy McCall is a highly sought after international and national keynote speaker who has earned the right to charge as much as she desires for any keynote speaking engagement offered that she accepts because she has paid the big price of service. Peggy McCall is a New York Times number one bestseller of your destiny switch. Peggy McCall is a multiple-time award-winning author. Peggy McCall is a multiple-time number one national and international best-selling author. Peggy McCall has authored more than 18 books with the most recent release that we'll be discussing today, Savvy Wisdom. Peggy McCall is a creative financial success coach, consultant, teacher, trainer, facilitator, transformational thought leader with more than 45 years of creating relevant personal development content, being a great consistent presence in the personal development industry. Peggy McCall is a giant in the personal development industry. We're talking about the cream de la cream, folks. I'm considering her to be one of the matriarchs in the personal development industry. Peggy McCall is definitely a pioneer and trailblazer who thinks outside of the box. In this industry, utilizing vision, uncanny wisdom, the laws of the universe, creativity, innovation, ingenuity, perseverance, persistence, intentionality, and tenacity. Peggy McCall has graced the same speaking platforms with some of the best of the best, and I will name a few. Sir Bob Proctor, Mary Morrison, Wayne Dyer, Jack Canfield, Les Brown, Oscar Award winning, Emmy Award winning, Antonio Award winning, Phil Goldfine, John Asserod, Sandra Gallagher, and Brian Proctor, to name a few. Peggy McCall has helped pave the way for us all in this way. Peggy McCall had plenty of opportunities to cave in and quit, but Peggy McCall persevered on. Peggy McCall has had innumerable opportunities to make excuses and tell herself disempowering stories. But Peggy McCall rejected each of these opportunities and against all odds used her own power of choice and made a decision to pass the persistence test by loving herself, being gentle with herself through missteps and adversity and ignoring five sensory data appearances and having the focus and fortitude to tell her own self, empowering stories, doing her self-talk, inner conversations, internal dialogue, and auto-suggestion. Understanding that her internal focus of control was more important or far more important than her external locus of control. Some examples of what she may have said at different intervals to herself. This too shall pass. It is okay. You will do better next time. Pick yourself back up and press on. The sun will still shine tomorrow. And while going through this process, Peggy McCall tapped into something mind-boggling, something revolutionary, something special, and something unique. Her very own unlimited potential and absolutely nothing, and I do mean nothing, no state of mind or material thing in this three-dimensional world is beyond her reach if she truly personally desires it. Some examples of this, Peggy McCall has manifested multiple dream homes, 
even when she had no money. She has also manifested vacation homes. And the most amazing and astonishing thing is every day in some way, she is teaching others to do similar things or the exact same things through one-on-one and group training, like skipping levels, the complete author program, morning manifestation, mastermind groups, the manifestation podcast, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, teleseminars, and keynote speaking engagements. And folks, this is real. I have been in multiple trainings, seen where jobs were lost, businesses went astray, clients wrote best-selling books, turned them into short films and movies, and the rest is history. With no further ado, it brings me great pleasure to have the dubious distinction of welcoming Miss Peggy McCall to the Sophomore Project, The Experience, Volume 5. Hi, Peggy. Thanks. Thank you, Dwight. That was quite the introduction. That was probably the nicest, the longest introduction I've ever had. Wow. You deserve it. Thank you. Very kind. We're going to talk about your new book, your 19th book, um, Savvy Wisdom. Uh, I actually have a little story I want to share. I had been writing some stuff down, and I'm just going to tell them, and I think it coordinates with the book, too. And I think there's two other points that I might interject later. Um, but basically, um, the Bob Proctor event that was uh, April, I think, 26th through the 28th or 29th of, um, in Los Angeles of 2019. So what happened was I had already brought my plane ticket. I had Actually, I bought the event ticket first, and I brought my plane ticket. But I hadn't discussed it with my wife, and I didn't know how she was going to take it. I didn't know what was going to happen. But all I knew is that I had to get to this event. Like, I felt it. I didn't care what happened, what I had to go through, or none of that. I didn't even consider it. It's like, man, I got to get there. I got to get there. I didn't know how to explain it to her or all that. So I remember laying down, and it's like, I saw myself in L.A. on my bed or something. I I don't know exactly, but I was just thinking, like, man, there's got to be some kind of way I can just go peacefully without conflict. I just want to just, like, a vote of confidence, just approval. I don't want to argue about it, none of that or whatever. So the major thing happened. My wife wakes up at, like, 5.30 in the morning on that uh, Thursday, and she says, go ahead and go on. So she gave me her blessings, and the rest is history. (laughs) That's great. And that was where we met, was at that event. What a blessing it was that she gave you the blessing. And what a a blessing that you really listened to your intuition, and you acted on it as well. Yeah, I knew I had to get out there. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but it worked out well. And I just, I mean, I strongly, strongly wanted to go out there. Yeah, it's great. That is great. Well, Bob Proctor is the best in the world, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, that's how my life really started to transform was when I met him over 40 years ago. Awesome. Yeah, really is awesome. So can we dive into Savvy Wisdom? I mean, it's a phenomenal book. Um, I'm when I first started reading it, it went to the part about the breakup with the high school boyfriend. Yes. And it took me back to when I was 20. And it was something that 
I didn't know if I would be able to finish the book, I'm being honest, because I was on this summer, uh, I think it was July or the end of June with Pip Mackay out of, uh, I think, Melbourne, Australia, and she was doing some matrix therapy work on me. And I tried to dive into it. Um, and it's just funny because it's a nonfiction book, right? Yes. And no, it's a, and, no, it's a fiction book. It's fiction. It's like, a parable. It's like, yeah, yeah. So that's what I meant. I got it mixed up, the names. I'm sorry about that. But that's basically, okay. it, it seems so real because the, the moment that you start telling what happened, I didn't know if I could read beyond that point. Because I immediately went back to when I was 20 years old and I broke up with my high school sweetheart. And the thing was, I had tried, I was really aspiring for basketball and she was a year behind me. And so I tried to like, hey, I don't want to hold her back. She's a very pretty girl. You know, she's very, was a very beautiful girl. And I was like, I don't want to hold her back. I'm going to be at college. She still has one more year left in high school, blah, blah, blah. So I tried to smooth it out like that way. I really want to focus on basketball, you know, let her do her thing. You know, we're young, blah, 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 blah. You know, if it's meant to be, we'll meet back up. And so the weird thing is our parents got together and said, nah, y'all stand together. So when I read that part, it's like, man, my stomach dropped. And it's like, oh, my God. And then I went back to when I tried to talk about this with Pip Mackay, and she was doing the matrix therapy, and she said I was putting up too much resistance, so we had to stop. So I didn't even dive into it. So I actually set the book down. And I think I went to go get something to drink or something. And I was like, man, um, am I going to be able to complete the book? You know? <laughs> so it's just weird how it resonated deeply in it. Like, it made you feel like you were in there. And oh, I mean, it's an great. amazing book. I've had so many people tell me that, that they, and and it's appealing to men, women, boys, girls, like kids are re- reading it and young people are reading it. And so many people are sending me messages saying how it's so relatable to their life as well. And, I mean, when I started writing Savvy Wisdom, I made a decision that I would base it on my own life, but then just allow it to go where wherever it was going to go. But it was so easy for me to to start writing, especially that part, because I remember that. It was a very defining moment in my life where... You know, I just didn't have any will to live. And what's mm-hmm. interesting, Dwight, that you mentioned that is when I was uh, a few years ago, I reached out to my high school boyfriend or my ex-high school boyfriend. And in the book, he's called Chad, but that's not his real name. Mm-hmm. And um, I let him know that I was writing about the, the breakup and more importantly, you know, how it impacted me and, and how I you know became suicidal right after that. And he had no idea. He really didn't know because once we broke up, there wasn't any connection after that. I mean, he got together with a new girl and he was, and he ended up marrying her actually. But um, he had no idea. And of course, I wasn't feeling suicidal because of the breakup. It was really a culmination of a number of things that had happened in my life. And essentially, I had determined that Chad breaking up, well, in the book he's called Chad, but my high school boyfriend breaking up with me was a sign that I wasn't lovable. I didn't feel worthy mm-hmm. of love, and I certainly didn't feel like worthy of living either. So it was a very dark time, dark place, and 
I think also the timing of bringing out savvy wisdom with what's happening in the world. There's a lot of people who are really struggling emotionally, and mm-hmm. I think it's making a big impact with others because they're resonating with feeling lost or hopeless. And, and of course, the story goes on, and it gets good because as you've read the whole thing, it does mm-hmm. have a happy ending. Yeah. And the, the the profound thing about it, too, is because I was basically like almost a straight-A student. And so for about 12 months or so, maybe a little longer than that, I kind of went out of control. Like you're a straight-A student to not even want to even go to class. My, my wow. professors had so much uh, respect for me because they knew what I was. They uh, Three of them like withdrew me from the class. Because I came out of high school like a 3.73, I think. And even though I messed up this time, I still graduated with a 3.5. And I still was like close to a 3.7 in my major. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it hit me. I can't even lie about it. I was like, whoa. I didn't know if I'd be able to finish it. <laughs> but you did. Absolutely. Good. That's good. What did you like most about it? Um, I think that the, I would say that the first meeting, um, at the park, yeah, at the park, that one stands in there. And then like all the meetings there, um, yeah, the meetings, the meetings with Savvy, um, was pretty like prolific. And then when he would give you instructing instruction, and then you started, Hey, I got this journal. I got that journal, and you started like taking action. And then when you got excited, like when you got excited, like it's like I lit up, so to speak. <laughs> That's good. And then there's a touching part. I kind of became emotional um, because, like, my son actually um, had surgery when he was born, like within hours. So that like really registered. It was kind of a delicate time, but it, it like it had high, high emotional impact on me. Right. He's he's four now. I mean he's been oh, fine. Good. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. That's great. Well, I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah, I had uh I I you were talking about um maybe with my brother, what happened with my brother. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I had people reach out to me about that. I had people that I haven't known very long, so they didn't really know my life, and they reached out and said, oh, I'm so sorry, what happened to your brother? But what I wrote about in the book is not exactly the way it happened, how he, uh, actually, I won't give it away, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the the freedoms when you're writing a, a fiction book is you can literally go anywhere you want. And what's Mm -hmm. nice about writing fiction is that you can just make it all up if you want to. You can go any way that you want. But the most important thing to remember is you want to get the reader engaged so that they're mm-hmm. captivated and keep them captivated all the way through. So I was very meticulously writing each chapter with the intention of writing something that would definitely keep the reader engaged and have them want to go to the next chapter. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't wait. Yeah, and so many people have told me that, like they sat down and read it, you know, in one sitting, or they sat down and read it over maybe just a few hours. I remember one evening I had already gone to bed, and my 
phone, a text came in on my phone, and it was my son's best friend. And they've been best friends since they were babies. And they're both 28 years of age now. And my son, my son's best friend is Alex. And Alex sent me a text, and he said, thank you so much for writing Savvy Wisdom. It couldn't have come at a more perfect time. And I remember seeing the text and not really thinking anything of it. I was, you know, asleep, actually, when it came in, so I didn't reply or anything. I went back to sleep. And I got up the next morning, and I sent him a message, and I said, did you read Savvy Wisdom? And he said, yeah, I got it yesterday. I read it one sitting, and, and he said it was just perfect timing. And so there's a 28-year-old man, you know, a young man. He's going to school right now, and... and uh it really impacted him. So I'm not sure what's going on in his life right now, but he just said it couldn't have come at a more perfect time. Maybe he needed to hear the messages or something in there was felt like a personal message to him, which I think happens to some people when they're reading it, and that's why they resonate with certain parts is because they put themselves into the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And speaking of putting them into a scene, it's being made into a movie as well. Wow, it's going to be phenomenal. Like I couldn't it believe, is. like I'm when, excited. When it talked about the the transplant that Savvy had had the surgery, and that was like hit me like a jolt because that my son had had the surgery. I don't know. I think it's coartic. I don't really know the exact name of it, but yeah, it was the major surgery. Like right out. Luckily, the nurse you know found out about it, and they were able to care flight him and get everything done. It was a blessing. That's good. That's good. I'm yeah, happy. That's amazing. Can I ask a question? Like, I don't know if it's just me, but like some people, like when it's talking about in there, he's telling you about feeling it like you already have it. I'm sure yeah. there's other people like that have problems, like being able to do it, like, you know, beyond visualize, like actually get like the feeling like they would actually have like, how do you how do you work like around that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, when when people are wanting to manifest something, you know, whatever it is, especially if it's something that they've never done before, it's very likely a stretch goal. It's uh, perhaps a quantum leap of some sort. The idea behind manifesting involves you have to imagine that it's already in your life now, that it's here now, not sometime in the future or hoping or wishing that it'll come. You have to feel as if it's here now. And the way that you're in perfect alignment is when you feel feel these feelings as if they're natural. But in the beginning, it's it's not natural, and it certainly wouldn't feel natural because you've never done it before, never had it before, never experienced it before. But however long it's going to take to get to that point of feeling natural is up to the individual. It really is. It's their choice. And so you've got to you've got to practice it. It's like you mentioned Michael Jordan. Right? Michael Jordan did not become the star that he is today or known for by, you know, just doing a couple of visualization techniques. I mean, he really worked it, right? He worked mm-hmm very, very hard to get to where he he accomplished what he accomplished. And, um, you know, he, seeing himself as one of the greatest athletes in the world was, was something that he strived for. He saw it. He was very intent on that outcome. And at, in the beginning, when that approach is, is tried, it does feel unnatural. It does feel uncomfortable. 
but through time and what's called space-time repetition. And you've heard Bob Proctor talk about that as well, through space-time repetition. It does become natural. You feel it. Like, that was my 19th book, and I remember when I decided with my fourth book to make it a New York Times bestseller. And even the idea, you know, just thinking the thought, I'm a New York Times bestselling author, was something that was foreign. And what most people do is they just dismiss it. They don't even accept it. They don't even entertain it. They don't play with the idea. But I decided, I like that idea. I'm going to play with that idea and see what it feels like. And at first it felt like, um, you know, who are you kidding? And then I thought, no, it's that opportunity is available to anyone, anywhere. It doesn't matter if you live in the United States or you don't. I don't live in the United States. I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And so I began to build the emotional muscle, if you will, like began to feel as if it was already done. And so when the actual event occurred, I remember my literary agent called me on the phone to tell me. She said, hey, Peggy, I just want to let you know that your book made it on the New York Times bestseller list. I remember jumping up and down like I was on a pogo stick, but I remember thinking, I don't feel any different. And of course, you wouldn't feel any different if you've been practicing the feeling states as if it's here now. And it's a simple concept, but incredibly challenging for people to do because we're habitual creatures and we habitually think, we habitually feel, we're we're in habitual behaviors. And so in order to manifest something different, we got to get into new habits. And that takes time. It simply takes time. It takes time, takes discipline, takes commitment, (laughs) takes focus, but it's, uh, it's a very powerful thing to do when you when you realize that that power is within you and it's within you now Mm. wow profound i have another question and i'm sure with the way the pandemic has come down a lot of people probably would be interested in this i know that you are a money magnet i mean you just are a flat-out go-getter or you just attract it however people take it. Walk us through why is it such a challenge with finances? Like, I mean, for for the masses, I mean, if you take, I mean, 19 out of 20, 9 out of 10, I mean, 9 and a half out of 10, like, why is it so difficult? Why is it so much of a challenge? Why is it an issue that, like, pretty much dominates most people? Yeah, you're right. It probably is more like 9 out of 10. I, like I've heard 97% of the people on the planet are struggling and 3% are are comfortable. And, you know, it's a big ratio. And I think it's because of the way we're raised. It's our environment. I was raised in a poor household. There were six of us living in a tiny little home. And I shared a tiny little bedroom with my two brothers and my sister. There were four of us kids in one little bedroom. It was a two-bedroom house for six people. And and my father worked as a janitor and my mother worked in a factory and, you know, they did their best to provide for us. You know, family of six is uh, probably there's a significant amount to keep food on the table and clothes on our back. And so I was raised in that environment. So when you're young, you're you're programmed. It's like you're you're conditioned. Your beliefs are built. Your belief system is built when you're at a young age. So when you get older, unless you do something about changing your belief system and creating a better relationship with money, you'll probably still struggle. 
it, it's like um, I remember one time Bob Proctor saying that welfare recipients, like families that are on welfare, usually came from a family that was on welfare because that's all they learn, right? It's, it's learned behavior. And therefore, if you want to attract more money or more abundance into your life, you've got to change your beliefs around it. And, and that can take time. It's certainly just like anything else. It takes time. It takes discipline. And takes you, you have to use your imagination. You've got to imagine that you're abundantly wealthy and, and have a really healthy relationship with money. Because if people, and a lot of people are, are raised also in different religions where they get different beliefs, like money is the root of all evil, and that's simply not true. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's people do evil things, but it doesn't mean that money, money, money has no energy except that which we give it. So if you believe that money is for greater good, that it can help you help others. Like that's one of the things I love about having money is the the help that I'm able to provide for others. You know, how I'm able to easily give, like give in my knowledge and my wisdom from my many, many years of studying, and uh, also to give to charitable organizations. I'm involved in several of them. I'm on a board of one of them, and I just love giving to charities. So I, I look at money and having money as a very blessed thing. It's a positive thing. It's a wonderful thing. And so I have a very healthy, loving, respectful relationship with money as well. And I also believe that money is meant to circulate. So a lot of uh, a lot of people think they have to hoard it, you know, or hold it or whatever, but I've I've also met people that have money and yet they act like they're poor because they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to lose it. So I I believe that I decided very early on. This was definitely an area that I worked on in my younger years, which is a blessing because I've always been a, a money earner is that money is easy to earn. I remember asking Bob Proctor that. I said, what are your beliefs around money? And he said, well, I believe money is easy to earn. I said, I believe that too. And I've been earning it since I was a young youngin. And, you know, there's an abundant supply that we're all born with the same opportunities to earn it or attract it into our lives and that we don't have to know how we're going to, you know, attract it into our life. Um, We just decide, you know, decide what it is that you would love also believe, as Napoleon Hill wrote in Think and Grow Rich, that no more effort is required to aim high in life, to demand prosperity and abundance than is required to accept misery and poverty. And, you know, that's an insight that I think can change change someone's life, to realize that no more effort is required to aim high in life, to demand prosperity and abundance than it is required to accept misery and poverty. See, a lot of people don't have that knowledge. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the awareness, and therefore they just continue to recreate more of the same. And what are they recreating? They're recreating undesirable results. But the truth is, if you open up your consciousness to learning a little bit more about what's required to experience abundance in your life, you can do it. You can have it. And it's not money is not something that is a... um, um, is prejudicial. It doesn't, you know, decide, well, you live here or you came from there or you're that or you're a man, you're a woman. It doesn't matter. It's just like it's available to anyone. And we've seen it. You know, we've seen people arrive in countries, you know, leave their country and go to another country with 10 cents in their pocket and build empires or build fortunes. And and so there's countless stories of, of those people. But I think where it really comes from is what 
what their belief system is around money and abundance and prosperity for them, you know, for their own experience. And then if you change that, in other words, reprogram your consciousness to to believe that you are already abundantly rich, if that's what you desire. And it's not about money's going to make you happy. It's not the point. It's not the point at all. And uh, the idea is just do you want it? You know, money doesn't make you happy. You're, you choose to be happy. The happiness is a choice. It's another emotion that you can choose to be or choose not to be. You know, it's really, it really is up to you. But I happen to love money. I have a lot of respect for money. I have a lot of appreciation for money. I'm very grateful for the money that I've attracted into my life and that I continue to attract in my life. And, um, you know, I believe that it's possible for anyone to have abundance. Wow. I want to ask you a question that relates to me personally, and I know there's several other thousands, tens of thousands of the white leaves. Like, I grew up in very humble um, beginnings, and, like, my mom, she wanted better for me and my sister, and so she grew up on welfare. They moved, like, every month and all that, so she wanted to make sure me and my sister didn't go through that, and she had me when she was 15. And so she did that. So we were never on the food stamps and all that. But here's the thing. Like money and sex was not talked about. And I know like there's different cultures or whatever. Like what would be your approach around that? I I would say that, you know, there's certain things that I just don't talk to other people because I know I don't think the same as most people. So mm-hmm. if um, if I get in a conversation with, with folks that maybe aren't my close friends or whatever, and they want to talk about, about uh, issues that I don't believe the same, I'll just remain quiet or just listen to them as they share their ideas. But the truth is, you don't have to let any of it in. Like if someone has, like I I believe in respecting people's opinions and what their thoughts are and understand why they are the way they are. And it's not a matter of making them right or wrong. I just listen and and just be respectful. And if someone's saying something that I wouldn't agree with, I would very likely respond by saying, oh, that's interesting that you would think that way. Because it is interesting that they think that way doesn't mean I think that way. That's the way that they think. And what that does is it just honors them and respects them, but it doesn't really say I don't agree or I'm, you know, I'm opposed to what you're saying. It's just saying, oh, that's interesting you would think that way. And uh, I love harmony. I'm totally into harmony and I don't, I don't like getting into conversations that are uncomfortable. For me, it's like, what's the point? I'm not, I don't want, don't feel like arguing. I don't see any sense in arguing. I actually have a, uh, a relative who seems to love arguing. I just don't, I just remove myself from the room. I'm not interested in arguing with somebody. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get anywhere. So I just don't go down there. Gotcha. So, so that's it's, interesting. Wow. It seems to be peaceful too. So wow. So so what was your favorite part of the book? Savvy Wisdom? Mm-hmm. I would say my favorite part of the book was the letter that Savvy wrote to Sophie at the end. Mm. It was just so beautiful. And 
And I think it was a, a great way to end the book. And, of course, we don't want to say what, it, what the letter said because we'll give away the book. And I think everybody should get a copy of Savvy Wisdom. And it's S-A-V-Y. That's not savvy like the word. It's S-A-V-Y because it's a person. I mean, when you ask that question, Dwight, I mean, I, I just flashed back to when I was writing it. And I just mm-hmm. loved every part of it, every part of it. And I've read it multiple times since then, because as an author, you've got to review it, and I made a few changes, and, you know, we did the editing, we went through the editing process, of course, and then the editor did her her work, she edited the book and then sent it back to me, and I had to read it again, and so by the time the book got published, I had read it, well, I wrote it, but I also had read it multiple times, but even after it was published, I read it again, like one Saturday afternoon, my husband was watching some sports. He's a sportsaholic. And I just said, I think I'm going to go in my office and read a book. And I went in my office and I read Savvy Wisdom again. And so I love uh, I love every part of it. I really do. I, I'm just, uh, it sounds probably silly for an author to say that they're in love with their book, but I am. I'm really in love with this book. I think it came, it came from source, you know, wherever it was, it was such a surreal experience in the writing of it, because it was just all the ideas were just coming to me. And, and uh, it just felt it was like, I was like a little kid who was giddy with excitement as I was writing it, because I was like, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Like, where's this going to go? And so, and the whole idea that it could go wherever I wanted it to was fun. It was really a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, the book is a phenomenal, amazing, and astonishing book. And um, you can see, like, kids to senior citizens alike are connecting, having deep resonance with the book. The book is uh, it, it's, it's special. I mean, I believe that hundreds yeah. of millions will sell, definitely tens of millions. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to get up there big time. Mm. Well, many people have told me that. And uh, Bob Proctor is is someone who is in love with this book. I've never seen him as excited about a book ever, ever. And as you know, it's my 19th, and he wrote mm-hmm. the foreword for like three of my other books, but he never had this response. This has been something unlike I've ever seen before. He's constantly sending me texts, and he's telling me about how in many, many years ago, before Bob got into the work that he's doing now, he was telling me that he worked in a bar. And it was one evening, he was in the bar, and he was sweeping the floor, and the television was on in the corner of the bar, and he said Tommy Dorsey came on. It was a Tommy Dorsey show, and that's like old, old, old. My parents used to watch the Tommy Dorsey show. So the Tommy Dorsey show came on, and he brought on this entertainer by the name of Elvis Presley. And Bob said he was watching the TV, and they brought out this guy, Elvis Presley, and he started to sing, and Bob said, I dropped my broom. He said, I just knew, just in that moment, he said, I knew that guy was going to be wildly successful. And uh, it was like an intuitive hit, if you will. And he said, I feel that so strongly with Savvy Wisdom. He said, I felt it. He said, I felt it just like I did when I saw Elvis Presley on on TV, he said, I just feel Savvy Wisdom is going to be so big. It's going to be such a big, well-known book that the whole world is going to know about it. So that was pretty cool. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Bob mm-hmm. sees the future. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's prolific. 
it's going to be epic, no doubt about it. I believe that it will get into the hundred millions. I mean, once everybody gets wind of it, it's going to man, it's going to circulate, as you say. Yeah, and the and the actor that they're considering to play Savvy Wisdom, I think, is perfect. I can't tell you who it is yet until he's accepted the role. But right. the screenplay is being written now. It's already started. We went through the what they call the beat sheet for the movie, which is the overview. That's already mm-hmm. done. It's looking good. I love it. I loved it. It's perfect. And now they're doing the screenplay, and then they package it up, and then they uh, get the actors on board, and then it uh, goes into production. Yeah, it, it's headed for great, great things. It's going to be fun. Things. It's going to be fun being on set, you know, when they're filming it to see it come to life. That's uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to. I'm visualizing it now. I'm seeing it now. Like I'm seeing the park and the bench, and I'm seeing the big boom camera that comes from above, and and uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I believe it. I totally agree. I know. I can feel it. Yeah. Wow, it's it's been phenomenal. Um, can't think of any other questions. You've pretty much buckled everything down. I do have a, a prayer request for maybe March or April. <laughs> okay, good. What's that? Any chance that I could get you and Phil maybe for just like 30 minutes? I mean, if you guys want to go an hour. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'd be happy to do that. Yeah, just let me know when it works out for you guys. Okay, I mean, I'll that talk to be Bill. Like I talk to him every day. Through. Oh, perfect. Yeah, whenever you guys are ready, I'll just, man, schedule it. Absolutely. Consider it done. Oh, thank we'll you. We'll make it happen. You're live on the Sophomore Project, The Experience, Volume 5, with Lee and Peggy McCall. It's been a phenomenal show. I want to express sincere gratitude, admiration, appreciation, and love for Miss Peggy McCall, um, extraordinaire. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I believe that this has been an epic show. Um, continued success and blessings on Savvy Wisdom. I believe that it's a book that everybody needs in their household. Um, Peggy even attempted to give away 100,000 free copies. I mean, Peggy just has a huge heart. She's a big philanthropist. I mean, she's just a giver. Um, she knows how to give very well. She knows how to receive very well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peggy, for coming on the show. We deeply, Always a deeply pleasure. appreciate it. Always a pleasure. coming back again with Phil. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest right. of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Discover the power of positivity. Identify your gifts. Then plan and execute your passion. And ultimately... Thrive exponentially in life and most importantly in business on Sudden Eye Impact with your host, with your host, Lee, your host, Lee, your host, Lee. Your host. Lee. Your host.